0: 90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science.
1: Hey, Shannon, how are you?
0: Doing pretty good. Got back from the field, still exhausted. Um, I've never done shift work before. Have you ever worked all (laughs) night before? It's rough.
1: (laughs) I have. I worked uh, midnight to noon shift a couple times for like a month.
0: Yeah, this was 7 to 7, and it... Yeah. (laughs) As you can probably tell, I've only been back like three days and I still sound ridiculously tired. (laughs) Actually two days. Yeah. So it was, um, it was interesting, but it was super fun. You know, got a lot of rock out of the hole, which is what you want to do. So, um, yeah, it's time to get to work now, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, and for people who've never done field shift work, it's not like, oh, you know, shift work and a factory or something one they're 12 hour shifts Mm
0: -hmm. and two
1: they're seven days a week
0: yes correct (laughs) that is correct Uh, (laughs) so
1: you are you're working as some total of a minimum of 84 hours Uh, in a week and the way i remember it basically for that month i did my 12 hour shift got off shift ate a little bit of something and fell asleep until about 10 minutes before my shift started again.
0: (laughs) Grabbed food on
1: my way to bed because I was so tired.
0: So this is exactly like there's nothing. The store that was nearby, which was the nicest gas station ever, um, little tiny baby grocery store. It was open nine to six. So the day shift actually could never could never go to the store. <laughs> so we had to shop for the day shift as well. And I remember they said, you know, you're not going to be able to do much else outside of your shift. You're going to be too tired. And I was like, that's silly. There's no way. I don't sleep very much anyway. It's fine. And no, you're exactly right. Like, we would get done <laughs> and we'd have to go. We were storing our core off location. So it was kind of an extra... 35 to 40 minutes each shift anyway. So it's more like 13 hours. And yeah, yeah. You take a shower, you'd eat dinner at 7 a.m., which was real weird, 8 a.m. And then you'd collapse till, yeah, about 5 p.m. that night.
1: Nothing like working somewhere where the galley has four meals a day and they all have all the options.
0: Yeah. Oh, gosh. Uh, That would have been amazing. (laughs)
1: So. yeah but no we uh let's see i was yeah it was about a month or so and i definitely remember initially having the debate some shifts of like okay do i sleep another 15 minutes or do i get up and shower and like groom mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. and i was
1: on a boat and then our saltwater uh, the desalination system got crippled and we couldn't take showers most of the time
0: oh my gosh
1: so that solved that problem yeah. Everybody was gross.
0: Wow. Okay. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. But we all got Great. an extra little bit of sleep.
0: Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's... Wow. And we had a 20-minute drive to the location, too, so it was definitely... Yeah, you slept as hard as you could. We we got to the store once it, it closed at 6, and we were there at, like, 5.55, <laughs> so... <laughs> so scary. <laughs> but luckily, I mean, the town we were in was a town of 30 people, so... You know, they knew where we were, who we were, and what we needed, so they would just stay open for us. No big deal. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. And ironically, (laughs) so it was six degrees the first night and eight degrees the second night. And ironically, you had a huge storm storm here, and my husband sent me pictures of eight inches of snow, and we got nothing, even though we were in eight degrees in Colorado.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we actually still have a little bit of a snow plinth left in our backyard where... Uh, My wife rolled a huge snowball up.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, That was crazy. Yeah. Everything was shut down for like half a week and not us. Just working hard. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that's okay. Well,
1: we're we're glad you're back.
0: Yes. Me too. (laughs) Me too. I didn't even remember what we were talking about. What are we doing today?
1: (laughs) Yeah. So last week we talked about the fun weathering, physical weathering.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: So this week, it's time to talk about the other kind of weathering, which is chemical weathering.
0: <laughs> and we say the not fun weathering because, yeah, we're physics I said people. the other. <laughs> I did not say the not fun. I it said was, the other. It was implied. I used the periodic table three times in class today. Wow. I know. I feel gross. <laughs> um, so... Chemical weathering is really important, because even though the other one is the fun one, uh, it doesn't actually happen as much as chemical weathering does.
1: Yeah, it doesn't consume the, the volume
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that chemical weathering does. Yeah, it just doesn't. So this is really, you want to talk about more important. This is the more important of the weatherings, and definitely the more prevalent of the weatherings that's happening. So yeah. So what is it, Drawn?
1: Well, it's where chemicals get together and the rock (laughs)
0: dissolves. (laughs) I swear that I say the phrase ions in solution, I would hazard a guess at seven, eight hundred times a year. (laughs) I mean,
1: it's kinda like the sun, but for chemical weathering and geology. <laughs> like what's this stuff in here? It's just ions in solution. Exactly. How did that happen? Ions in solution.
0: Exactly.
1: Why is this precipitating out? Ions, ions in solution. And solution.
0: That's correct. <laughs> you got your cats and your ants and they get together and there you go. And it's so, so like, like it's so amorphous, right? That phrase, ions in solution. But
1: it, it is the shoulder <laughs> shrug of geochemistry.
0: It totally is, but also it's what happens. So so exactly so if you
1: take your your material your rock your mineral whatever Mm -hmm. and it interacts it can just interact with water Mm -hmm. and if the concentration of certain ions in that solution is low Mm -hmm. uh, then those ions can be drawn out of the material into the water yeah this can be more prevalent especially if that water isn't just water but it's acidic
0: Right, which happens to be most meteoric water. So this is always a fun one to say, is that, yes, acid rain exists because of pollution, but rain is normally acidic anyway. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It has a pH of like 5. It's quite acidic, sometimes 4.75, right around there. So, and that's just because as... Rain falls through the atmosphere, so H2O picks up CO2 that's naturally in the atmosphere, right? And that makes acid. Right. Mm -hmm. And then that acid hits a rock, and boom, ions in solution.
1: Specifically, I mean, it makes carbonic acid, right?
0: Uh Uh-huh, yep.
1: Yeah, so carbonic acid, the same stuff that in your Coke is dissolving your aragonite teeth.
0: Yes, that is exactly right. <laughs> so, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's where also I always draw pancake-shaped raindrops on the board, and <laughs> I use it as an extra credit question every single time.
1: <laughs> so I, I, I had this exact discussion about what raindrops are shape, shaped like uh, with right. our neighbors,
0: Recently, in the last week. Uh, I don't know
1: if I'm getting invited back to any parties. but
0: <laughs> Oh, man, I love it. It's so funny. Oh, especially
1: I- after the uh, saying, like, hey, you know, here's, here's a fun exercise for your school-age children. Uh, convert minus 40 Celsius to Fahrenheit. Let me know what you get.
0: Oh, my gosh. Like I said, I'm not getting
1: invited back to any parties.
0: Nerd humor. You absolutely are not. Oh my lord. Those poor kids. (laughs) So we call that, speaking of parties, a simple solution. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yep. (laughs) Yep.
1: So the simple solution is your mineral and your acid or water, and you get everybody say it together now. Yep. (laughs) I
0: mean, the next one's pretty simple, too, really. And that's just. Hydration or dehydration? Either one.
1: <laughs> you know, you say it's simple, but this one always amazes me. Why? <laughs> okay, so to me, a a hydration or dehydration process doesn't change the thing. Okay. Like I can dehydrate banana and it's still banana.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Much worse, arguably, but yeah. <laughs>
1: Oh no, banana chips are amazing.
0: Disgusting. Move on. So <laughs> uh,
1: minerals are a little different.
0: Mm-hmm. Because they become Be- something else.
1: <laughs> they they become something else. Yeah. It's it's like if you took your banana and dehydrated it and it became pear.
0: So if you have to you can go back to, you know, the definition of a mineral, specific chemical formula. And there you go.
1: I mean, okay. So I guess if you go by that, dehydrated banana probably is not banana.
0: Well, it's not. A but mineral. it's also it's well, not a the mineral water's, either.
1: <laughs> yeah, the water is not in the in the structure. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. To me, hydration, dehydration, minerals is a little bit magical.
0: No, that is very true. That is true that it is. Um, and these are you know clays are the ones I think of when you talk about hydration, right? But generally, yeah, clays are what you think of for everything because they're the trash cans of rocks. (laughs) True, I say clays,
1: but I mean a lot of salts too, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, that is true. But but clays can take a lot more trash. Salts are like bathroom trash cans. Clays are like (laughs) (laughs) dumpsters. dumpsters. (laughs) (laughs) And I say that with love. I don't want anyone to think that. I don't love clays. I'm a sedimentologist after all. (laughs) And our clay mineralogist who we've had on the show, Dr. Andy Elwood Madden, has also referred to clays as trash cans. So I feel okay making that statement. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah. So when you add water, you can do all kinds of cool things and change clays. And the dehydration, you take away water, you can make all kinds of weird salts. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's it. Those are everywhere.
1: <laughs> yeah. So there are some other some other processes in chemical weathering, though, still, that we haven't talked about.
0: Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, I guess, well, I guess if people are wondering specifically, I didn't even give these, but um, so like you can change anhydride to gypsum. That's a really common reaction, hydration reaction.
1: Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And so I had to, when I was teaching this, I wrote all these chemical formulas up on the board that I haven't written down in ages. (laughs) I was very impressed that the students still remembered them from from mineralogy. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Because I didn't. Um, (laughs) Okay, so we also, sounds like hydration, also has to do with hydrogen. This thing called hydrolysis. And this is really the big one in terms of, Chemical reactions and chemi- or in chemical weathering,
1: right? And this has to do with everybody calls it like H plus. It's a proton.
0: Yes, everyone calls it H if plus. It, but yeah, <laughs> if it's
1: hydrogen with a positive charge, the only thing it can be is a bare proton.
0: So naked. So naked. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so you got this bare proton, which, you know, when we're talking about what's the pH of something, we're really talking about how much OH- minus or H+, is there. Right. Yeah, so you've got this, this proton wandering around, and it interacts with a mineral,
0: mm-hmm. and things happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we say it interacts with a mineral— Silicate minerals are what we have here at the surface, mostly. Um, I mean, in abundance, I'll say. And so chemical weathering through hydrolysis of silicate minerals is like the main weathering type. And so, for example, let's break down orthoclase because there's a lot of orthoclase, which is a type of feldspar. Lots of that. It is... Potassium, aluminum, silicon, oxygen. You add your protons. You add your water. And you wind up with that trash can mineral, kaolinite. Okay? So it's hydrogen, aluminum, silicon, oxygen, plus silicic acid, plus some (laughs) ions in solution. (laughs) Some potassium that just... that just gets let go in there so you're breaking it down from a feldspar to a clay if you've taken any petrology class um, that contains a petrographic microscope part of the course you'll see this feldspars look dirty in thin section and that dirtiness is hydrolysis of the feldspar into clay
1: Right, and it's because it has those cations that are floating around, like potassium, like aluminum, that can exchange with the proton. Mm -hmm. And now the potassium or the aluminum are ions in solution, Mm -hmm. and the mineral is now modified, and you have this garbage in the the solution that ends up precipitating out somehow. And often it's in a new clay form.
0: Right. And that silicic acid can go on and do some more damage in terms of chemical weathering as well. So, you know, you're releasing this downstream amount of chemical weathering that just keeps going. And, I mean, chemical weathering of silicate rocks is a huge deal because eventually this can the weathering of those things carbon dioxide gets introduced into this and carbon dioxide from the atmosphere responds to some of you know the water and the reactions that are occurring here and it gets reprecipitated in the ocean as limestone so you can get rid of co2 from the atmosphere by weathering silicate rocks actually and you can do this enough that Many of our, including our current ice house, was probably precipitated (laughs) by by chemical weathering of silicate rocks. So it's a big deal. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'd say if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate.
0: Oh oh, man, it's too. (laughs) It's too late for me to laugh at that. What can
1: I say? I've been on a uh, a roll of slogans and dad jokes this week.
0: Yeah, I can't wait to see what the title of this episode's going to be.
1: <laughs> oh, it's going to be Ions and Solution.
0: <laughs> of course. I don't even know why I didn't know that. <laughs> so, speaking of... <laughs> Actually, this one isn't Ions and Solution, sort of. Um... <laughs> no,
1: but it's got a cute mnemonic device.
0: Oh, no. <laughs> what's the yeah. mnemonic
1: leo the lion goes gur.
0: i don't know what this is what what
1: how do you know which one's oxidation and which one's reduction then
0: oh man please okay so please so oxidation and reduction <laughs> leo
1: the lion goes gur. okay leo leo lose electron oxidation Oh, my goodness. The lion goes ger. Gain electron reduction. G-E-R. <laughs> Leo the lion goes ger.
0: Huh. I just remember that oxygen gives up an ion. I mean, that's oxidizing. But I yes, like yes, this way more better. complicated. <laughs> I like this way better. Lose
1: electron oxidation, gain electron <laughs> reduction. The <laughs> line goes ger.
0: Did you learn this in high school?
1: Oh, please. I learned this in like my third semester of chemistry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's amazing. Maybe fourth. Oh, man. Okay, that's the best. Um, that makes it even even better. <laughs> so, what does the yeah, so, exactly do? <laughs> right. So,
1: uh, atmospheric oxygen can gain electrons.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Gain electrons, reduction. So mm-hmm. we would say that oxygen is reduced. Mineral constituents lose their electrons, lose electrons' oxidation. So we oxidize a mineral and reduce atmospheric oxygen. Oxidizing a mineral would be if it contains iron rusting. hmm So yep. Mars.
0: hmm Lots of rust.
1: Lots of rust. Uh, this is, yeah, it's just a process by which that oxygen in the atmosphere is fixing these... Uh, minerals that have electrons that they can give up, which mm-hmm. so that means they're negatively charged things generally.
0: Right. So you you can change. Okay, let me see if I get this this one right. So I got to think about it. So ferrous iron, which is Fe two plus, gets oxidized to ferric iron, Fe three plus yes
1: let's see so it's losing an electron so it's getting more positive right
0: mm-hmm, yeah Whew. <laughs> you know this is really this is an easy thing but see even even grown-ups have to stop and think about it for a while
1: <laughs> right and so like if you're just if you're rusting pure iron mm-hmm. it's actually pretty cool so you take four iron three oxygens which if you remember you had to do stoichiometry. It's always three O2s.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So six oxygen atoms, because oxygen, nitrogen, these things are always in two. Mm-hmm. Um, hydrogen, helium, a lot of those really light gases argon. Okay, so four iron, three O2s, six H2Os, and you end up with four Fe... Oh three, so you get that oh group three of those and then four irons and that's rust
0: oh there you go that's exciting
1: i know who knew stoichiometry could be so fun at uh <gasps> very late at night
0: <laughs> um, so one of my students had geochemistry immediately following my class and he was like so those those things you wrote up on the board when we were talking about hydrolysis, I mean, they weren't exactly, like, balanced equations. And I was like, well, I, th- I thought they were. <laughs> and he's like, well, I mean, you know, the professor was like, eh, it's good enough. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I just got graded poorly. <laughs> and I felt so bad, and I had to go get my notes.
1: <laughs> it's, it's like doing, you know, you're doing order of magnitude estimation here.
0: Exactly. He'd be like, oh man, I
1: wish I could get the. I wish I could remember which math class this was. But the professor would like get part of the way through the problem. He'd be like, and then you know all the boring algebra stuff, and then like all of a sudden we're somewhere else. And we like, whoa! right like, we just took a big leap here. And he'd be like, well you get the idea. Or oh, I think it was the same class. We did a problem and we ended up. Finding that like there's a sign error somewhere way back in the beginning. And of course just like, well, you know, you get the idea. Just change it here and it would all work out.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: (laughs) So that's what you did with these chemical equations. Jack, this is this is the idea.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, that absolutely sounds like something I would do were I to teach for that math class. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Yeah. That is what I did. I still went back and fixed it in my notes, but Right. <laughs> yeah. So, um I guess those are really the main ones. So you can talk about carbonation, but that's really what we already talked about before. Um that's a simple solution, right? So yeah. CO2 and H2O yields acid ions in solution.
1: <laughs> exactly. Now, what we can talk about, though, is what things we can do to change how fast chemical weathering
0: happens. Right. So mechanical weathering is important at high elevation and pretty cold places because when we talk about chemical weathering, you know, what are the things that you do to change reactions in general, if you're just talking about, you know, in the chemistry lab, And so you want to talk about what changes and affects the rate of the reaction. And obviously, temperature is one of those things for sure, right? If it's warmer or colder. So in really cold climates, mechanical weathering is the major weathering that's going on. But everywhere else, and as you get warmer, chemical weathering is.
1: Yeah, I mean, in chemistry, you heat things up. The atoms get all excited and start bouncing around, and the faster they're bouncing around, the more likely a collision is, and that collision has a some probability of a reaction happening. So, the more of those collisions you can get per second, the more reactions you get happening per second, the greater the rate of interaction.
0: Mm-hmm. That's my favorite favorite definition in science is temperature. I just think it's so cool the measure of kinetic motion. Um. So since we're talking about rocks, the other thing is what is the size of the rock you're working on? Because the whole point of weathering, well, no, the whole outcome of weathering is that you're increasing surface area of the rock. So whether you're frost wedging, <laughs> I know you hate that one. Ice wedging. Uh, Yep. <laughs> or chemically weathering you wind up with lots of particles versus the larger particle that you started with and by increasing that surface area that's increasing the rate of rate of weathering going forward because now you've got all this more available surface to weather on
1: yeah and i mean this is something we do in the chemistry lab too
0: if you mm-hmm. want to increase
1: the you know decrease the time it takes for these two things to react and make whatever intermediate step you've got, you pulverize one. You get your mortar and pestle out.
0: Mhm. There you go. If you want to have sugar dissolve in your simple syrup cocktail faster, you get the tiny granulated sugar. Exactly. Mhm. Yeah. So, this is also remember we said that silicate weathering actually takes CO2 out of the atmosphere eventually as those ions in solution become limestones deep in the ocean. Um, This is a geoengineering strategy too, which is increasing surface area of silicates to increase drawdown of CO2.
1: Yeah, blast it out.
0: Mm-hmm. Get a lot of so, a lot of pebbles
1: and cobbles and hand samples instead of one big quarry face.
0: Mm-hmm. So you can do that, and that'll increase weathering. Um, it's really cool. They talk about taking minerals and putting them on silicate minerals, olivine stuff like this, uh, and putting them on shingles. And if they're in tiny particle sizes, they're getting weathered, and then your shingles are drawing out CO two.
1: And also, you got to replace your roof more often. So
0: hey yeah but co2 (laughs) 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 so that's um that's one thing and obviously what the rock is made of that's going to that's going to Mm. affect how you can weather things oh yeah Mm -hmm.
1: for sure i mean and you, you see this in lots of you know type canyon type things or whatever you see a ledge sticking out that's very clearly a different rock unit. You're like, oh, that one had a much more tenacious cement.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, If you're familiar with Bowen's reaction series, which is the series that tells you the order that minerals crystallize out of a magma as it cools, it's sort of the same as the weathering series. So silica is the last thing to come out. Of solution. So quartz is the last thing in a magma to form, and it's also the most resistant to weathering. So olivine and feldspars are highly, resi- highly weatherable. Those are the first things that come out of a magma all the way down the reaction series to quartz. Last thing to, uh, to form in a magma, also the hardest thing to weather.
1: Right. So, you know, like last week we said, the further you are from the conditions in which you formed, the less stable you are. Olivine, pyroxene, amphibole, biotite—those are all high temperature, you know, fourteen hundred C down to let's say a thousand C. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas your quartz, it's it's coming out of solution. It's very weird to talk about solution of I know. rock, but <laughs> yes. that's that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. Um, at you know, something like uh, a nice cool eight hundred C somewhere in there.
0: <laughs> Chilly. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, Uh,
1: But, you know, you put different components, you put different kinds of sugars or whatever in your coffee and then let it cool to room temperature. If you supersaturate, they're going to come out at different points, and that's exactly what happens. And then they would also reabsorb into the coffee Mm -hmm. at those same sequence in reverse order.
0: Yep. Yep, exactly right. So minerals do the same, follow the same physics. How about that? So the composition... And the particle size and just the exposure all leads to how fast things are going to weather. Obviously, humans can help or hurt this, just like you were talking about blasting out a quarry face into lots of tiny pieces versus, you know, slabbing it or anything like that. Um, And we're trying to actively do some of these things in terms of geoengineering. So we're sort of trying to mess with these rates for our own purposes. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no matter where you are, even if you're not in one of these canyons that John was talking about before, you can see the byproducts of weathering yourself if you have soil underneath your feet. Because that's what soil is.
1: Soil is just old crappy rock.
0: Yeah. Like with some plants thrown in. <laughs>
1: I guess we need it for that, yeah. yeah. So it's it's rock <laughs> that is in the ultimate stages of breakdown.
0: Mm-hmm. So I had a student last semester that kept asking me what the difference between dirt and dust was. And I kept saying I'd get him an answer, and he finally got mad and was like, I'm going to somewhere else to get this answer. But I had told him in the beginning that I thought, just gut feeling, that the difference was organics, so that dust is mostly just minerals and dirt is organics. And this is kind of what soil is too, because you have rock and think about in deep geologic time, when the earth cooled down, it was just rock. And then weathering happened on top of it. Once we started the water cycle and eventually that rock gets broken down into tiny and tinier pieces And you start to make subsoil, and then once you had, like, plants and animals come in and decompose, added all that carbon to it, now you've got, like, the nice, rich soil we have now. And so that's all byproducts of weathering, chemical and mechanical.
1: Yeah, and, you know, maybe we should actually talk about uh, soil horizons at some point. Like, what is subsoil? What is surface? What's the organic layer?
0: Mm Mm-hmm, that weird word, humus, which I always obviously read as hummus, and, mm mm-hmm. And my favorite one of my favorite words is regolith. It sounds like a pokemon. It sounds like a rock formation <laughs> it's, right It's just a very versatile, awesome word
1: <laughs> it's true uh mm-hmm. yeah we we actually in in an upcoming segment of the show here we have a, lots of awesome words but <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah, maybe we'll talk about soils at a at another point because they are very complicated and people spend their whole career studying the development of soils mm-hmm. and how we break bedrock down into this roughly three to four foot sequence of progressive soil horizons
0: i mean it's a dirty job but i guess i'll i'll do it with you right <laughs> yeah
1: well i mean you know in arkansas it's pretty easy to do soil studies because you just got to dig about six inches and then you hit bedrock so
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah great
1: we don't we, do, we don't have any soil like you all out there in the, the oklahoma plains so oh, yours gets blown it seems... away sometimes
0: exactly my husband would say it's not soil he's like dirt's not supposed to be red i don't understand this <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah well yeah i mean
1: your soil's never there long enough to get that nice black organic mm-hmm Ion-rich topsoil that, that he's used to in Iowa.
0: Well, it's because all the ions we have get oxidized. So so there we go. All we got is these, yeah, lots of rust everywhere, which gets all over my dog when he goes out to dig in the dirt.
1: And that brings us to everybody's favorite <laughs> segment of the show. Fun Paper Friday.
0: Yay! Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping that you are going to... Let me get that little dig in there.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh. <laughs> so, in in this week's contenders for, I wanted to write a paper because I wanted to use the word onomasticon, comes Names of Companion Animals, Rovers in the Onomasticon, <laughs> by Liebring.
0: Isn't that ridiculous? I had to
1: look it up. Okay, Onomasticon means list of words.
0: Right. So it's just a lexicon, but it sounds way smarter when you say Onomasticon. And, And
1: yeah, so (laughs) the question was like, well, what do we, do we really all name our dogs and cats and animals people names? Because we could call them anything.
0: So I found this interesting because... My friend and I often discuss how weird it is because we knew a guy whose cat's name was Joshua. <laughs> and I thought it was really weird. <laughs> and we went to like make fun, make fun of this guy, like calling, Joshua, it's time to eat. <laughs> like, you know, you expect some kid to come in and it's this little cat comes trotting in. Um, so I thought this was interesting because of that, but also because of the very. Like, the very end of the paper, which we'll get to. Um, so, there's not a lot of, I don't know, signs going on here. <laughs> but basically... No. Basically, looking at some surveys, it was, what are the popular names of dogs? And we use dogs, not other animals, because they're most likely to have people names. Um, and are these popular dog names? (laughs) Like, you get this this very popular dog names. And eventually, do dog names go in and out of style? And do they affect baby names? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know how... Baby names go in and out of style. Like, my daughter's name is Hazel, right? That was not a popular name in the past 40 or 50 years. Something like that.
1: Not since that housekeeper on DV.
0: Oh, man. <laughs> yes. So there's that. Uh, <laughs> and so... It, there's also a, like a Jane and you know there's a Gladys in our department too for the baby names so we have lots of little oh, wow. baby babies yeah. yes and i love it it's the best <laughs> um and so do dog names go in and out of style but really the most interesting part of this paper was just looking at swedish dog names
1: <laughs> yeah well and i like the <laughs> statement of like well we don't any pronounceable sound is a suitable animal name since we don't speak the same language
0: uh-huh. right, so why don't
1: people just name their dog like
0: so were you shocked at this thing that it's like this swedish joke to name your dog the swedish word for guess or ask him because yeah. when what's someone, your dog's name yeah ask him said very popular what <laughs> that cracks me up it's like naming your dog dog i guess i, I guess yeah <laughs> although I'm or gonna...
1: you know large structure that holds back water it
0: oh <laughs> yes um i'm gonna name my dog Fragon, which means ask him in swedish <laughs> there you go yeah because <laughs> that's hysterical um yeah, so they did boy and girl dog names, right? Looked at the 20 most popular dog names in Sweden in January 2013. And then basically didn't do any stats or anything, just talked about <laughs> talked about these onomasticons.
1: <laughs> well, also, this is something that could never have happened in the U.S., because... The Swedish Board of Agriculture maintains this listing of dog (laughs) names. It contains the dog's identification number, pedigree name, spoken name, breed, date of birth, owner's name, and owner's address. And they could just go download this database of (gasps) 750,000 dogs along with their owner's addresses.
0: This is unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm. yeah man. living in a tiny country sometimes definitely has its, has its pluses, I guess. I, I guess. Uh,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. but so yeah, they they did some elimination of some names. Uh, I it says three hundred and ten thousand of the dogs had one of the most 500 most common names.
0: Yeah, that's <laughs> that's awesome. And of these like 20 names, God, this is so funny. Lisa is super popular (laughs) as a dog name. (laughs) Yep. I thought that was really funny. Some of these other ones, Molly, I've known that dog before. Bella, known lots of Bella dogs, right? Doris, haven't known many Doris dogs, but that's... Wilma
1: was an interesting one. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, Yeah, Zeta, mm -hmm. Freya. I've actually known many Freya dogs. So that was funny. And then the dude dogs are even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Elvis. Luddy. <Letty. laughs> uh Simba. What? <laughs> Good old Diesel. But <laughs> just like our buddy Joshua the cat, there's Lucas. It's the seventeenth most popular dog name. <laughs> for boys. So mm-hmm.
1: Max is number nine.
0: Yep, not surprising. No, a
1: lot of Maxes. So
0: many Maxes, right? Zorro's really funny. That's number six. Like that's crazy. That is a lot of dogs named Zorro. Mm-hmm. Buster makes sense. Rex.
1: Hugo. I like Hugo.
0: I do like Hugo. <laughs> Rocky. Obviously, that's good. Um. Yeah. So really weird. So if you look at these names and then they want to look at the influences of animal names on baby names which i thought was a very interesting cycle but it also just seemed like a sort of i'm going to discuss this interesting cycle but no stats to bear it out really
1: correlation not causation necessarily yeah,
0: yeah there we go there we go but it seemed like there was maybe some correlation right so they looked at old boy names and girl names, I guess, that had fallen out of favor. And they tried to see if it ever made the top list of dog names in the time since it had fallen out of favor. And it turns out it did.
1: And interestingly, they say there's a 90-ish year cycle, three generations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: For names. I hadn't really heard that before.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I knew names come back around, but I didn't know it was three generations. Yeah. Uh, but that seems about
0: right. Yeah, I mean, all these Hazels and Gladyses and all that jazz. Mm-hmm. And so the dog popularity of dog names of these old names leads the human names by a few years, it says. And these aren't really even funny names, but it's a Torsten and Gosta were male forenames that were popular as boys 90 years ago. Very popular with dogs, now beginning a revival as boys' names. Right. Mm-hmm. And then Bengt and Leonard for girl dogs.
1: <laughs> I also enjoyed their analysis of names that appear only once in the yeah. database. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> One of these, we should have named our dog. Um, so a sampling of these names. Uh, flubby.
0: (laughs) That was the one I was just looking at. (laughs) The
1: one that I think, uh, or well, the the one that would have been appropriate for one of our dogs is Fluffus.
0: Fluffus and Fimpy. (laughs) Uh, Oh yeah, those are also
1: names that are derived from words like Flashdance or Fearless. (laughs) Who names or Fatso?
0: (laughs) That one makes sense. Who names your dog (laughs) Flashdance?
1: Well, when we adopted one of our dogs, the dog that she was uh, given up with when she was turned over to the Humane Society was named Turbo. (laughs) So you knew that dog was Psycho.
0: Yeah, nobody wants to adopt that dog. Uh, Yeah. My dog's adoption name was Arthur, which I find super hilarious.
1: (laughs) That is a very proper... I know. Names. That's a Joshua name.
0: It is it is. And it's like part of me kind of wishes I'd kept it because sometimes he sits with his little with his little front feet crossed and so I call him Arthur when he does that.
1: <laughs> it's his middle name. Hank <laughs> yes. Arthur Doolin.
0: That's exactly right. <laughs> um yeah, so I just thought this was a funny paper.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. So this was great uh if
1: you want to know what you might want to name your kid if you're planning on starting a family in the future I mean, maybe look at what dog names are popular
0: Mm-hmm. exactly there's a turbo and an author arthur out there somewhere
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly
0: <sighs> well if you would
1: like to tell us what name you think is going to come back in the next three generations I'm still waiting for my bell bottoms. That's a little faster than names. Uh, uh. Uh, but Shannon, where can they send that?
0: Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. You can tweet us at don'tpanicgeo. I'm at Shannon Doolan. John is at geo underscore Lehman. And thank you, as always, to our supporters. If you would like to support us, you can do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo.
1: And until next week, remember, don't panic.
0: It's not an exact science.